So as Julius Malema has signed this national agreement with the ANC or has gone together with the ANC, now I don't think it's a signed agreement, but I think it's a verbal agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could, if they just got together, vote us out in Ikuraleni. So I'm expecting that, and I think everybody else must. There will also be a huge onslaught on Chwani. I can see that the ground is being prepared now, even by mm-hmm. some of our coalition partners, right. for a vote of no confidence. And I think we, that's coming. I can, I can read the tea leaves. Good morning, viewers of Worldview. Welcome again to another session. This is the number one media company where we explore everyone's perspectives on things that can broaden our worldview. Today, I'm truly excited to finally have a sit-down with Helen Zelle, the, fo- the former leader of the DA. She used to be Minister of Education in the Western Cape, but long before that, she, during her party, she was a journalist, and she's one of, I think, were, were you the first person to report on the Steve Biko murder, Helen? Yes, I was. Yes, yeah, I, I was, Sully. Yes. Not the Steve Biko murder, but the you know, the real reasons for why he died. Okay, okay. The murder so, had been reported and covered up, but our, uh, my editor and I, I will always give Alistair Sparks the shared credit for that. Mm-hmm. It was not only me. Right. Alistair and I were the first people who did that, yes. Okay, so Helen also became the Premier of the Western Cape. I, I would say very successful Premier of the Western Cape. I remember here for one thing that I continue to be proud of, no blue light brigades all over the place in the Western Cape. That was awesome. <laughs> and, and of course, she's Such now... Such a the... small thing, Sally. Such yeah. a small thing, and you remember that. No, it's a big thing. I hate it when I do. Have you tried to travel from Johannesburg to Pretoria or Tani with all those big people thinking yes, they're big, pushing you over the road in big, big black cars? If somebody become MEC, they suddenly get have to travel with brigades i've said i've met alan winder having coffee with his family in cape town nobody's going going after him he doesn't have to run around thinking i'm such an important person i need 10 cars to accompany me and that's that's cool that's what i like the western cape for in part anyway this is a very disrupted inter, inter, introduction but helen was also the premier of the, of the western cape as i said she has been now she is still the chair of the federal council i've always wondered is moving from being the leader of a party to federal council in terms of the DA, is it just, is it like moving from being CEO to chairman of the board? Well, I have been the CEO of a small company, yes. Yes. but I've never been the chairman of the board. Yes. My job is quite different. My job is like the secretary general of mm-hmm. a political party. Uh-huh. In many political parties, they use the term secretary general. Right. And right. I think that that is what my ter- my title would be like okay so chair of the, the federal council almost seems like uh, what do you call uh, what, what what does malema call himself um that he calls big... himself the cic yeah, yeah, yeah. it sounds like that <laughs> okay anyway i think Helen... I just call me chair of the federal council no fancy titles no blue light brigades no fancy titles <laughs> right helen welcome i'm really del- delighted to have this conversation with you i don't even know where to start we, we've already started haven't we <laughs> Yes, we have. Yeah. So let's talk about that Biko incident a little bit. A lot of people forget about it. They think that your life started when you became a member of the DA. Let's talk a little bit about Steve Biko, what happened around the time and what would have been missed by the the people of South Africa and the world had you guys not got onto that story. Well, Solly, I was a journalist at the time. Uh, I was a junior reporter at the Rand Daily Mail. And I was very keen to get up in the world of politics. I I mean, the world of journalism, I worked very, very hard. My passion was political journalism. I was very committed to political journalism because I felt that I could play a role in South Africa by exposing what was really going on. And as a young journalist, I was sent all over the place. I was sent to what was then known as turf loop when there were the riots on I was sent all over the place. I was sent to every hotspot and I loved it. I used to go with a photographer normally and we'd go off in a little beetle, which is the car that the Rand Daily Mail gave to its journalists to go all over the place. It was a company car and we really enjoyed that very much indeed. So as a young journalist, I was working very hard. 
And then Steve Biko was murdered. And the Minister of Justice then, Jimmy Kruger, said he died after having gone on a hunger strike. Mm -hmm. And the impression for all the world to see was that he had died as a result of the hunger strike, which, of course, we knew was a lie. Steve Biko had been detained about a week, maybe 10 days before he died. And he was a large man. And there was no way that even if he'd eaten nothing for a whole week, he would have died in a week. Mm. So we suspect that something was very badly wrong. And then Steve Biko, the Biko family had a private autopsy. And the doctor who did it was incredibly helpful to us. And we followed that route and we got the autopsy result with the permission of the Biko family at the time. Mm-hmm. Did you However, have... we, had, okay. we had to cover our source very well. Mm-hmm. So we had to do a whole range of interviews that managed to cover our source and get it from another source, right. which is what one does as a journalist when one is trying to protect one's sources. So I then went down to Nelson Mandela Bay, which is where Steve Biko had been detained. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed all the doctors who had seen him while he was in prison. And the late Dr. Colin Hirsch, when I put the facts to him, basically confirmed that they were true. And then we could attribute the information to a whole range of doctors who had seen Steve Biko and not only one of them. And then we could break the story. So it was a very interesting... Did you you ever meet him, Steve Biko, before he died? I never met him, no. No. But I obviously knew a lot about him, had heard a lot about him. I had seen him speak publicly. I had done all of that. And I had read a great deal about him. I was a student at university when he was as well. Mm. And while I was new SAS inclined, he then started the Black Consciousness Students Movement at the time. I think it was SASO, the South African Students Organization, and had a very different outlook. We had a non-racial outlook. He had a Black Consciousness outlook. Mm. And of course, I read a great deal about that at the time. Okay, so uh, fast forward to contemporary South African politics. Do you feel that South Africa or too many South Africans misunderstand you? Because I, I think maybe before you answer this question, I, I saw you when you became, I think you're the mayor, the executive mayor of Cape Town first, after uh, a lady who became South Africa's ambassador in Washington, um, Indian Faketo. Now, I thought she was a very slow person. And I saw you when we had fires on the mountain. You were almost one of the first people to be there with the fire brigade. And and I thought, wow, this lady has so much energy. So you had that instinct to be at the front end of the story, right? I mean, you you, you continue to have that, even as you get according to politics. When you became the Minister of Education at Western Cape, you were out there in the schools getting stuff done. Yes, Solly, but it's not because I am looking for publicity. It's because I'm doing my job. One thing I do is every job that I do, I try to do as well as I can. Mm. And I try to own the job and do it to the very best of my capacity. Mm. I try to understand all the facets of the job and I try to do it with integrity. And it's been like that since I was the mayor, the MEC for education, all of those things. I really, really try to understand what the job involves and do it to the very best of my ability, 24 hours a day. Am I misunderstood? Well, that's that's an interesting question. So it's a very interesting question. My family would say I'm totally misunderstood. And I would say, well, you know, the media love to build a caricature of a person. Mm -hmm. They love to paint a person like they would like to. The media deals with heroes and villains. They don't like ordinary people, which is what I am, an ordinary Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. But they've made me this larger than life caricature of who I am. And sometimes I get irritated. But you know, as people say to me, they're doing me a favor. They're building me up into this 
person who is leading the charge against this woke racist madness mm -hmm. that has come to South Africa from America and Britain, and that that's a good place to be, that there's a huge political marketplace mm -hmm. for the ideas that we espouse. And if the media are playing me as the great intrepid leader of that, that the ANC hates, well, they're probably doing me a favor. I don't know. I mean, I've learned to shrug it off. Mm -hmm. but, um, Helen, I get a bit... Mm -hmm. But Helen, you, you worked in the media before. I'm surprised that you're saying the media as if it's one generic term. Surely the media is, is not homogenous in this. Maybe there are, there are individuals in the media who are doing this, but not everybody is doing it. The media is not homogenous, or the media are not homogenous, as right. my English grammar teacher would have said. You're correct. You are you're absolutely correct. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. My bad as, as well. It's very difficult to take these Latin plurals <laughs> and give them a singular noun in English, isn't it? It's so, true. Um, so look, I, I do. I can generalize when I say the media likes to create heroes and mm. likes to create villains. Mm. And they love nothing more than bringing down somebody who was once a hero and making them a villain. Right. And I think that I can say that generically. That is how it is. Okay. They build people up and then they bring them down. That's the way that the media works. And you've just got to ignore it. You've just got yeah. to say, who am I? Do I know who I am? Do the people I care about know who I am? Am I acting with integrity? That's yeah. all you can do. So I wouldn't generalize about the media. There are some good journalists, but I have almost written off the English media. Mm. They, their understanding of issues is often so superficial. Their capacity to get to the truth is so limited, and there's not even an attempt to do so. Has it got to do so, with the juniorization of the newsroom? People have, are constantly running for stories. There's no time to write, to investigate, to ask all the sources, whether they, you know, to verify this, this. But you have to submit by deadline, or, or maybe people are not interested in really understanding the core issues. Is it? Is it? Would that be part of the element? No, I think it's ideological alignment mainly. Um, okay. I, I think that many of the young journalists are coming out of these uh, cauldrons of critical race theory, critical theory in general in the universities, and they don't see their job as describing things accurately. Right. They see their job as influencing things, directing the narrative in a certain direction, and I think that's very, very dangerous. Yeah. I was brought up as a journalist in a different era entirely. I was brought up in an era where a journalist understood mm -hmm. that there is such a thing as truth, but it is very difficult to get to, and that your ideology is not going to tell you what the truth is, and that you have to work very hard to get as close to the truth as possible and reflect it. Because mm -hmm. when you are writing, you're not writing to promote your own ideology and your own biases. Mm -hmm to serve a readership that has the right to know the full facts of the story, whether you like those facts or not, or yeah. whether you think things should have happened that way or not. Your views are actually irrelevant. Your but job apart, is to reflect the situation. Apart from the media, do you, you read a book recently looking at the matter of um, cancel culture, I think it's... Yes. I mean, so it's beyond the media. Do you think there's a sense in South Africa of people to like, you know, she must keep quiet, she must resign, she mustn't have been chair of the federal council. She's the boss of John Stearson. She's actually the boss of the DA. John Stearson is just, it's just a front. I mean, do you, do you get a sense that people are like trying to push this narrative? Of course they're trying to push this narrative and it isn't true. You see what people can't understand or some people can't understand here, I really don't want to generalize. But what some people can't understand is that the DA works differently. We yeah. don't have one boss of the DA, like Gaten McKenzie, say, or Julius Malema, those are extreme examples, who issue instructions and their word is law and they are the constitution of their party. Hmm. We are a party of the rule of law and due process. And the reason why we succeed is because we are that. We are the only party in South Africa, literally the only one, who has built up strong internal institutions where decisions are taken by proper processes defined in our constitution and where everybody acts in terms of their role mandated by the constitution. Mm. So I can't decide on anything on my own. 
But I can't say this is now what we're going to do. I have yeah. to take it through the process and make sure that everyone is satisfied with that. But we live in an era in South Africa also where it seems like it's just easy to to put tax on people, on parties, and then it's sorted. It goes into a pigeonhole. It's so people say of the DA, it's a racist party because it cannot hold on to black leaders. I mean, just recently, another black leader left. left. And what, what's, what's going on? This time, these black leaders leave, they go and say, yeah, it was tough there. It's not a safe space for black people. People say Palazzi uh, was forced to say certain things. But of course, she did come out and say, wait, that's not true. Actually, I had not even spoken to the party. So let's talk about all that. Why is the now people are saying you're arrogant. You, the party, are arrogant because Helen Zeller controls everything. What do you make of all this stuff? Well, the first thing, Solly, as you know very well and as well as I know, when you start labeling people, it means that you have run out of rational arguments. It is quite ridiculous to say we are arrogant because we want to stick to a negotiated and signed agreement. Sticking to your word respecting what you signed and acting by it is not arrogance. Mm. It's called the rule of law. And because the rule of law is so misunderstood and so cast aside in South Africa, it is looked down upon almost to follow the rules. People say you're arrogant when you insist on doing the things that you said you were going to do and that you signed on the dotted line to. And when you expect other people to do that, because there's no other way that coalitions can work, they can't argue with you rationally, so they call you arrogant. Right. Now, let me say, as we sit here now, Sonny, there are at least 450 black African public representatives in the DA. I'm counting on my fingers. I think six people may have left in the last three or four or five years. That's completely normal in a political party. A political party is a voluntary organization mm -hmm. where people come and where people go. Yeah, but when they leave, yeah. Ellen, and they say, because I live because I'm black or I live because it's not safe for me or and easy to reign for me as a black person, this, the culture doesn't tolerate my blackness or my black culture or my black approach, whatever it is, then it becomes a problem when it happens, it keeps happening, doesn't it? Well, it doesn't keep happening. I mean, Action South Africa lost more black leaders in a week couple of months ago, when the entire Natal, KwaZulu-Natal executive resigned, and not to mention Fahi Mentor and Makosi Koza and their chairperson, they all left, they all made massive allegations against the party, and was hardly reported in the media. Now, Fahi so Mentor didn't one... leave the party, she, she left the position, but she remained in the party, or in, in, in Action SA. When, the, when she died, Action SA was there to bury her. Many, many, okay. many, many, have left. In fact, more, more black leaders have mm -hmm. left Action South Africa than, have, than had then by that time left the DA in the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. But it's only when a black leader leaves the DA or a black public representative who's not even a leader. Mm -hmm. I don't know why everyone has to have this title of leader suddenly when they leave. Many people aren't leaders at all. They're ordinary members of the party. Right. And it is absolutely normal for people to come and go out of political parties. It's a voluntary organization. Do you think they're trying to, to up their sellability when they leave the DA? Yeah, I'm a victim. I left because they don't treat me well. They didn't listen to me. They didn't promote me. So that they become more attractive out there. Now you are onto something. Now you are onto something, Sorry. Now you are onto something. If I'd said that, it would have been the biggest scandal in South Africa. And sure. there would have been manufactured outrage everywhere. But... Maybe for some, and not for all, I don't want to generalize, but maybe it's a business model. You know, you go as high as you can in the DA, and because you've been promoted very, very quickly, you think the sky's the limit. Suddenly you reach a point where you think you may have plateaued. You don't think you're going to go much further than this. And that comes as a bit of a shock to you because, look, the path up till here has been so easy and it has been so painless. And then to go the next step, well, why not resign, turn yourself into a victim, and as a business model, make yourself highly attractive to people who want to drive race as the primary motive force of South Africa. That may well be for some a business model, 
I have no doubt, for example, that Zwakele Mwango is now singing for his supper. I mean, what he's saying really bears no truth. He signed up for the DA. He was, he was the provincial leader of the DA for a while. He isn't now. And maybe he regrets those days that he didn't go further to the federal leadership or something like that. But he signed up. And when he signs up, the constitution of the DA is your contract with the party. And there you also accept the disciplinary process. And when the disciplinary process was applied fairly and squarely to him as to everybody else, he took offense. So it is a question of people getting status through victimhood. Mm. And in critical theory, you only have status if you are the victim of white racism. And are even there, when are that there is white the, leaders who get disciplined for what this or that in the DA, or are white leaders more, more well-disciplined, is it right? Of course. Do you remember that I was suspended? Do you remember, Solly? Yeah, uh, I, I was suspended. Vaguely. Okay. Oh, yes, I, mean, I do, of course. People get suspended all the time. Mm. Not, well, not they don't get suspended all the time, but we have a disciplinary machine that runs absolutely fairly, that runs absolutely impartially, mm-hmm. and that doesn't favor one race over another. In right. fact, if anything, if there's any bias, it's against whites rather than against black people in the DA, frankly. Okay. Although it, I really have tried to fix that, mm-hmm. and I've tried to make absolutely sure that everybody is treated in incredibly fairly in terms of our rules and that do they you, apply yeah. without fear or favor does it do you does it feel the da feel on the back foot each time somebody leaves solely joins the da and he decides you know what i'm going to leave for probably for some of the reasons that you've just mentioned do you guys sit there and say oh god let's wait and see what he's going to say to the world do you have like a ready answer for these things you know are you at a point where you say you know what? let's deal with it let's see which way he jumps and we'll deal with it well, you know, what fascinates us is that when a white person leaves the DA, there is no fuss at all. Mark Waters, a seasoned MP for years and years, very senior deputy chief, whipped the whole lot. He left. Mm-hmm. No one turned it into a scandal or a crisis. If a black person leaves a political party, no one really cares. They certainly don't care when they leave Action South Africa. They certainly don't care when they leave the ANC in droves or any other party. But if a black person leaves the DA, it becomes a major scandal and runs for weeks. Now look at the ANC's top six, now top five. They are only black men. There's not even a woman in them. It's crazy. Since Jesse Duarte. <laughs> yeah. Not, um, not 2022. Even, can, you, can you imagine, can you imagine if the DA's top six looked like this? We are the only completely non-racial party the only party with a diverse leadership. Yet we are attacked all the time for having a race problem. We're the one party that doesn't have a race problem. All the research shows you that our support base, our voters are exactly one third white, one third black and one third brown. We are the only truly non-racial party. But do you think- The ANC- Sorry, go ahead. The ANC, the ANC, has absolutely no prominent white people left, mm. except I would say Carl Niehaus, and they're trying to get rid of him too. Well, which ANC is trying to get rid of Carl Niehaus? Not the other one. Maybe the one is, but not the other one. <laughs> Who knows? But the he, will tell you that, he will tell you that the ANC he belongs to is the right ANC. The one that's suddenly misgoverning South Africa is not the right ANC, and they need to clean it up. He will tell you that. He told me that at least. <laughs> Well, I'm but, sure he did, but the bottom line is the bottom line is that the ANC used to be a non-racial party, and it yeah, isn't that's anymore. True. That's the point I'm making. Hmm. But uh, <laughs> Helen, you know these things. I, I know that if when somebody takes time to look at the facts, they might come to a different conclusion. But the truth is, perceptions out there are fed by these. You know, we, we keep saying that a lie many times repeated doesn't become truth. But it seems like in South Africa, a lie repeated many times becomes truth. Zuma is innocent. He's, he's just an innocent victim of apartheid and got this and that and all that. Because it's repeated over and over, even through song, right? Now, the DA, 
when if the da were to say to south africa guys get off the track there's a fast there's a train coming down the tracks really fast at us people are not going to move over the train because the da is saying that and that's a big problem well you know goebbels the nazi minister of propaganda recognized that very much a long time ago he said if you repeat a lie often enough it will be accepted as the truth and so that's what the nazis did they repeated lies over and over again and they became accepted as the truth mm. and it is primarily the job of the media in a free society the nazis, to get to the truth or to try and get to the truth not yeah. to repeat the lies over and over again and that's my biggest problem that i have with the media in south africa mm. they just parrot the lies and i actually try to dig for the truth because they are, they are ideologically aligned often right. to the lie and that is the problem it's ideologically driven as it would be in a fascist state rather than a total commitment to find the truth irrespective of whether it goes against your yeah. ideological perspective okay but helen uh, let's go to po po uh, coalition politics i i recall that we are probably the first or one of the first south african politicians to say the era of coalition politics is coming to South Africa. You said it long before you became uh, you know, chair of the Federal Council of the DA. Now we are there. And I think this era is not going anywhere. It's staying with us. Look at what's going on around the country. Now I see that the ANC, obviously the, the only way they can control budgets ahead of the next elections is to take back the municipalities. Now they're working with, it, it seems like the Action SA, PA, all these guys, to try and remove the DA from from all these other from from Tony and Ekuruleni, surely something has to be done. There's got to be a different way. I mean, you guys, including the DA, were invited apparently to um, to Denmark recently to look at how coalition politics work. What lessons were drawn from there? What can we do ahead of the 2024 elections in South Africa to ensure that we don't we don't end up with this sort of thing? Solly, um, let's start at the beginning. Yes, I've been involved in coalitions since 1999. So that's a long time. Right. 25 years, basically. Almost quarter of a century. I was first in a coalition between the DP and the NNP at the time. Then that blew apart. Then in 2006, I became mayor of Cape Town with 42% of the vote. And in order to get 50%, we had to do a seven-party coalition. And that was, I would argue, a successful coalition. Mm -hmm. It started as a minority coalition. We managed to build it up into a majority coalition, meaning that enough parties joined us to get over 50% of the vote in council. And then we moved it to an overall majority in the province three years later, and then to an overall majority in Cape Town. And we also won many, many other local municipalities over that period of time in the Western Cape specifically, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. And so the DA has run coalitions and has run them very well. Obviously, the places that are governed best in South Africa are those where the DA has an overall majority, where we have 50% plus of the seats, which is very, very rare in a proportional representation system. Proportional representation systems, unlike constituency systems, encourage coalition politics. Mm -hmm. In Britain, you have a constituency system, and there that encourages a two-party system. But proportional systems like ours encourage coalition politics. Do you think as that should change? Well, we believe in electoral reform, but I'm coming to that right now. Okay. In fact, electoral reform is one of the most pressing things that South Africa needs. Mm -hmm. But in Europe, they have coalitions and always have had. But these coalitions are stable, not because the political parties don't argue and fight with each other. They do. That's the nature of politics. But those coalitions succeed because they are in a structural context that makes it possible for them to succeed. The rules of the game are clear. They are not yeah. clear in South Africa, is that what it well, is? Well, let me just explain what I mean by this. Yeah. Firstly, once you sign a coalition agreement, 
in a European country that has, this is Johannesburg, the Hardy does. I'm sorry about the Hardy does. Once you sign a coalition agreement in a European coalition, it is considered to have the force of a binding legal contract. Right. No one tries to randomly change their position or their powers or anything until the next election. So it's fixed. Mm -hmm. A deal is a deal. A contract is a contract. Your signature means something. In South Africa, coalitions are not worth the paper they are written on. But it's because the, we, rules, are, the rules are not clear or, or are people just ignoring the rules? Well, if the law made it essential to forge a coalition agreement that would remain in place unchanged till the next election, that would give us a legal framework within which coalitions could be stable. Right. In our country, we have the following situation. We negotiate coalitions, and I led the DA negotiating team for weeks and sometimes months. It took us nine months mm -hmm. to get a coalition agreement in Nelson Mandela Bay, for example. And many small parties have the balance of power, which means that if they cross over to the ANC, the DA coalition falls. Right. That's what the balance of power means. And when you've signed a coalition agreement, that must be almost like a marriage contract. We are together now. And till the next election, we recognize the rules that we've agreed to. But in a and marriage agreement, if the one partner becomes abusive or seems to be aggressive, uh, the other partner can decide, you know what, I'm not staying in this marriage anymore. Yeah, absolutely. But the problem is that when you sign a coalition agreement and no partner was being abusive, the DA follows the rules to the letter and mm. we are never abusive. I can assure you that. In a coalition agreement, you just have to wait for five years yeah. and you can vote against each other, but you keep the coalition agreement intact. The coalition itself doesn't form. There are no such things as random motions of no confidence. Mm. You can't just bring them up every time you want the government to change because you disagree on one thing. That has to remain stable. And so, of course, that doesn't exist in South Africa. That doesn't exist at all. And so we negotiated Johannesburg last year, and then we reopened the negotiations in February to bring in the Patriotic Alliance to give us a stable majority coalition. That was, we renegotiated six months ago. And they said, no, we're in now till 2026. Thanks for making space for us. This is our word. Our word is our bond. And five months later, they're demanding new positions and different things. And it's not arrogant and it's not abusive at all to say, listen, guys, we have just negotiated this. Can we please stick with our word? But Can is we there, please... Does anyone mention what the, the residents want? It seems like it's all about what position are you going to give us? What, what position do you get? Who's getting that position? And the whole concept of DA-led or action SA-led or ANC-led, should, should it not just be coalition? Or even though you have the bigot number, maybe you need to underplay that we are the leaders of this coalition. Or does it matter? It ma well, let, let me explain to you. The time when residents are absolutely critical is when they vote, mm. because then they vote for a set of policies. Right. You hope at least that they do. They vote for a set of policies that they expect mm -hmm. their party to implement mm -hmm. if it gets into power. Yeah. Excuse me. Now, in coalitions, it's a little bit more complex because you have to give and take. And that is why when we negotiate coalitions, they take a very long time because we don't begin with the positions. Most people only think of the, the positions and they want to start with the positions. Right. We say no. We start with the principles and the so values. So what, what, what motivates people to choose a particular position? What's in the, what, what are the, which are the most attractive positions for coalition for small parties? Is it the ones with big budgets, tenders? Let me quickly get take you through this. We go through the principles and values. Mm -hmm. We go through the joint coalition objectives and the priorities. Right. We go through the major objectives of the term of office mm -hmm. drawn from everybody's manifesto. And only at the very end do we get to positions, even after we have dealt with conflict resolution mechanisms, deadlock breaking mechanisms, all of those things. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a step-by-step process. Now, obviously, the thing that most people are interested in is just getting to the allocation of positions. Yeah, but just, but just we deliberately... Ellen, I'm sorry to keep doing this, but the, the step-by-step, the negotiation, is surely the, there must be a blueprint now. There must, so that you don't start from the beginning each time. Isn't it, is there no such thing? It's just a thing? Well, during the run-up to the election, the DA did get a concept agreement, a blueprint, mm-hmm. and we worked it out in the finest detail. And when we started the coalition negotiations, we said, we've got to have a signed agreement. This is absolutely essential. And we put the draft on the table. So that provided the starting point for the discussions and everybody could have their say. Obviously we changed it a lot and we customized it for every single coalition that we did. I mean, you must understand that we're in 37 governments now around the country. So 37 governments, we had to negotiate most of them. And we also had to get a, a very clear agreement for that place, a customized agreement for that place, mm-hmm. written and signed by the party leaders to really bind in those parties, as we thought, but thought wrongly. And everyone signed happily, champagne corks popping, public ceremony, make the deal public, put it up on the website, everything. So, yes. The real bottom line is what positions are we getting? And we managed to reach agreement. We managed to reach agreement that everybody was happy with at the time and was prepared to sign on the dotted line for. And then something happens over time. They see that they want another portfolio. Why? For example, the PA wanted economic development because it's Mm. got this huge property portfolio in Johannesburg. So that's what they wanted. So do they want an additional portfolio or, 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 or to switch from the one they agreed well, previously? Well, sometimes it's an additional portfolio. Sometimes it's a switch. Right. So in the negotiated agreement itself, there is a clause which says the agreement will be taken under review mm-hmm. at certain periods. Right. Now, that is the time, if you're unhappy with your portfolio, that you raise the question of, we don't want the portfolio we've got, we'd like to change. Mm-hmm. That is the proper time within the coalition agreement to raise that. And we are certainly always open to that. Mm-hmm. But it is not the time to start negotiating positions when there are motions of no confidence and when the coalition is very, very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then it is not a good faith attempt to reopen negotiations when you say, well, we won't vote for you in this motion of no confidence unless you switch our position or unless you change this. I mean, that's the politics of extortion. Mm. And with our back against the wall and the gun to our heads is not the time to reopen those negotiations. Right. You reopen the negotiations when the time is ripe in terms of the coalition agreement. Why don't you and that is the DA, only point we made. Why don't you as a DA say whenever a party comes up to say, look, we want to switch or want that portfolio in addition to what we have, why don't you say, let's make it public. Tell the public that you decided that you want this position and tell them why you want this position. Let it, let's put it out. Then we can have a conversation. Because now it seems like we, the residents, don't know what's going on. We just see people fighting over positions. And then the next thing, the same people who went into, into politics as small parties because they were unhappy with the ANC are happy to hand over the, the municipalities to the ANC. That's, that has wrecked these, these, these municipalities. Look at Johannesburg. Why would you want to give Johannesburg to, back to the ANC, really? Well, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. And um, apart from coalitions being binding in law, coalition agreements being binding in law, we believe that there should be a threshold to get representation. Mm. In every single European coalition that is stable, there is a threshold that you have to meet precisely to avoid the situation as we have in South Africa, where parties can get representation on a fraction of 1% of the vote. And then they get one seat, and then that seat has the balance of power. And then they know that they can determine which of the bigger parties governs. And then they decide whether they're going to give their one seat to the ANC or the DA. And then they can use that for extortion politics because they can bring down the government. Now, not all parties do that. Again, you can't generalize about all Mm -hmm. parties, Mm -hmm. but many do. And many choose the opportunity when the coalition is at its most vulnerable 
when we're facing motions of no confidence to say, well, this is my moment. Maybe I can push for this portfolio that I've seen now since I've been in government would mm. be better to have. And it's also very important to remember that the IFP did not want the speaker position in Johannesburg. Right. It was suggested to them that they should take the speaker position. And then that set a chain reaction in motion where not only one issue and one position was up for renegotiation, but then people used the opportunity to demand positions all over the place. Sounds and more like entrepreneurial politics to me, everything you're saying Well, it's me. not entrepreneurial politics, it's opportunistic mm. politics. Mm. And it's the politics of extortion and bribery, I'm afraid. So, and you see, if, if yeah. we get into that kind of politics, mm -hmm. if we get into that kind of politics, Solly, we're no better than the ANC. Right. We got into politics to be better than the ANC. The DA's commitment is good government. And we do our best in good faith everywhere we govern mm. to improve lives for all the people. Do you ever say, guys, one. but look at what you're doing. I mean, the Western Cape, Auditor General after Auditor General have come up to say the finances are generally cleaner than elsewhere in the country. Surely this is what we're trying to bring to other parts of the country. But people don't say that. We say that, that no. all the time. Yeah. No, we say that all the time. We say that all the time. And not only the Auditor General, you know, clean audits are important, but they're not the be all and end all. Look at mm. how life improves for the poor. I got into big trouble once for saying it is preferable to be poor in Langa because a, a journalist, Clement Maniatella, had said to me, well, look, the DA doesn't deliver for everybody. Look at Langa. Now, I live right next door to Langa. I live in Pinelands, right next door to Langa. And I happen to know Langa very, very well. It was part of my constituency when I was an MP. Mm. And I know that there are schools in Langa. There are clinics in Langa. There are paved roads in Langa. We have taken people out of the hostels and into proper flats in Langa. There's running water in Langa. There's electricity. They even have solar geysers in Langa. We've upgraded most of the shacks in Langa into formal housing. There's an unbelievable amount of investment. But, the, in but there again, the, the thing that gets repeated is that the DA is taking care of wide areas, traditionally wide areas, historically wide areas. They're neglecting black areas. And from time to time, you do get a voice from Danga saying, uh, Langa saying, no, that's not true. They're not, they're not doing enough for us. So it seems like people around South Africa have been conditioned to focus on whether the DA is doing uh, better in the townships in, in Cape Town is particularly than whether the ANC or other parties are doing better in the townships in the, in the cities they govern. Yeah, and there's absolutely no doubt that where the DA governs, life gets progressively better for people in the townships. You must understand the level of migrant migration that we've had in the Western Cape mm -hmm. and the hundreds of thousands of people who've come. And people come absolutely indigent. And they often settle on a piece of land that is not even appropriate for housing development. Mm -hmm. And we then have to start providing services. And I can promise you we do that. Even on marshlands, we were the first place to provide electricity to people in shacks when it was completely against the ANC's policy to do that. Now, obviously, that doesn't justify the fact that people live in shacks. But what is the role of government? The role of government is to provide basic services to ensure education and health systems are functioning for the poor, okay. to ensure that water, electricity, road networks are there, public transport networks are there. Our, our, our job is not to make sure that everybody is living in a mansion with a double garage. We can't afford that. Our tax base simply can't afford that. <clears throat> so if you look at what a government should be doing, what the role of the government is in the constitution. And then you measure where the DA governs against where the ANC governs, you will see that the DA is doing an in, a vastly better job at mm. servicing so, the poor in terms of what the constitution says. And then I don't, I don't want to lose you, unless you, if you're going to accord me 10 or 15 more minutes, I just want to go to other things, but I, I, I get a point there. I want to go back quickly to China's back. Mpopalata, do you see her jumping? People are saying she might leave, she must go to the DF, to the to action essay. Do you see that happening? Or, and also, do you see yourselves losing Ekuruleni and Tswani in the short 
in the in the short term? Well, let me answer the second question first. Yes, I think we've always had a very uh, unstable minority coalition in Ikuruleni. Mm -hmm. The EFF and the ANC together mm -hmm. will have a majority in Ikuruleni. Right. So as Julius Malema has signed this national agreement with the ANC or has gone together with the ANC, now I don't think it's a signed agreement, but I think it's a verbal agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, they could, if they just got together, vote us out in Ikuruleni. So I'm expecting that, and I think everybody else must. There will also be a huge onslaught on Chwani. I can see that the ground is being prepared now, even by mm -hmm. some of our coalition partners, right. for a vote of no confidence. And I think we, that's coming. I can, I can read the tea leaves. I also know that Action SA has been trying very hard to get Import to leave us and to come to them. Um, very specifically through the person of Bongani Baloy, who's been deployed to do that. And, you know, in the play Othello, which you will know very well, there's yes. this character called Iago, mm -hmm. who whispers untruths into Othello's ear the whole time mm -hmm. about whether his wife is being faithful to him. And there's this, also this tragic race dimension in it. So, um, you know, I often see Action SA sadly playing that role. Is, but is Palace a, a robust person? Is she the kind of person who who would um, leave Look, because I'm, of the onslaught? I'm not, onslaught? I'm not Mpo Palazzi's spokesperson, and I would okay. never, ever speak for her. Mm -hmm. I think you must ask Mpo that. Okay. I've worked very well with her. I don't think a day has gone past when I haven't been in contact with her office. Mm -hmm. You see, the governance unit reports to me as... Secretary General, although we don't have that term in the DA. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of work with our governments, and I'm in constant contact, especially with her chief of staff, every day. Right. I have done whatever I can to support Johannesburg in this critical coalition situation that they are and trying to make them viable. So I don't know what more I, I could have done or we could have done as a party. Okay. I, I think Mpo's very strong, but let me just tell you that it's very, very difficult. You face a non-stop onslaught. Mm. You face a non-stop racialized onslaught. And instead of the media getting to the facts of the matter, let's just take this example of where the DA and the ANC governs is life better for the poor. Instead of just parroting the allegations that the DA doesn't look after poor people, why does the media actually look at some empirical data? And there's plenty of empirical data that will mm. give them the answer instead of just parroting the lie. Yeah. Why don't they actually go in search of the truth? Now, it's very difficult if you're a person in imposed position to face this tidal wave all the time. And that's what happens to a lot of public representatives. They say, look, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to do decent, good things right. in the position. And now I'm just getting hammered from left, right, and center. So, you know. So what, what will be, will be, is it what it is? Yeah. No, no, look, look, I have confidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got 450 black public representatives. Mm -hmm. There are a significant number in, in Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. Some are on the mayoral committee. We have completely diverse leadership, but I don't want to start speaking for poor. I okay. think it would be totally outrageous if I did, and I would then be accused of running poor, which yeah. I don't. You're right, because you're Helen Zille, you'll be accused of that. Maybe we shouldn't really go there. <laughs> One, because, because they won't bother to get to the truth, they'll just yeah. parrot the lie. Yeah. Uh, Helen, a question for you. The ANC is heading to an elective conference uh, later this year. Uh, it's still out there whether Ramaphosa is going to come out the winner or somebody else aligned to Jacob Zuma <gasps> again is going to come out the winner. Does it matter to the DA who leads the ANC to the 2024 elections? Look, it certainly matters to South Africa very, very much indeed. Mm. I mean, the ANC is still a huge presence, even though they've fallen to under 50%. They are still a huge presence. Right. And it matters very greatly to South Africa who runs the ANC. I don't think there's a good ANC and a bad ANC. I don't know how you would purify the ANC if you had to try. I think it is riddled with corruption. I think the only thing that holds it together is corruption and patronage. 
but um, it still matters who runs the country. And um, who, so, who, for who South would Africa, you prefer if you, as a DA, for South Africa's sake? Let's put it this way: Who would you prefer? Is Ramaphosa the least of the devils? You know what would be good for South Africa, very good for South Africa, mm -hmm. is if the ANC fell very far below fifty percent. But but until 19, until twenty twenty four, it still has the electoral mandate to govern South Africa, doesn't it? I mean, what what's going to the change? end Nothing of this year is twenty twenty two. Yeah, the end of this year is twenty twenty two, and then it'll be eighteen months till the election. Right. Okay. So you still haven't answered my question. It doesn't matter to you, it seems, that whether, whether saying Gosazana Zamini Zuma comes back as leader of the ANC or, or, or Ramaphosa stays on. It's, it's, for you, it's the same thing. Well, I think the best thing is for South Africa. And I only look at it from the perspective of South Africa, not from the okay. DA's perspective. Okay. The best thing for South Africa would be if... Um, there was a result that enabled the ANC to fall well below 50% so that we can have an alternative government by 2024. What is the best outcome that the DA is looking forward to in 2024? I mean, you guys, there was a time when you were, you were hoping that you would be the next big guys in, in South African politics, but that those days, it seems to me, are gone. You're not going to become the 51% uh, winner on your own. What is your best shot? For 2024. So, as you know, we are in a coalition country, mm. right? We are in a coalition country. So, any party that gets over 20% is a serious player in coalition politics, a very serious player. I mean, Angela Merkel, who was German Chancellor for 15 mm. years, was at the head of a coalition, and sometimes her party got around 27%. Right. So, that's a big, big slice of a coalition in a coalition government. In coalitions, you don't really aim for 50%. And it's a miracle that we've got 16 governments that have over 50%, the DA has in South Africa. 16 governments that actually have over 50%, which is a miracle in a coalition country. So the DA can get over 50%, but nationally, it's going to be a lot harder. Now, you will remember the report poll that came out recently. It was covered on the front pages of report. And then there was another poll that had exactly the same corroborating evidence. Right. Says that the DA is only 12 percentage points behind the ANC. 12 percentage points behind the ANC. So the DA needs to go on a big drive to say to South Africans, guys, come on, look at the facts, look at what we're doing. Don't, look, don't run with the repeated lies about us being arrogant and racist and all that. So more work needs to be invested in getting people to see those things so that hopefully the more, especially those people who are not voting anymore, get to say, you know what, we need to vote for South Africa. In order to vote for oh, South Africa, absolutely. this is the arrangement we want to see in place. No, people have a choice. They can either have stable coalitions or they can have what we've seen in the past with these 10-party coalitions. Right. And let me promise you, a 10-party coalition can't work. While you're still drinking water, I would need you to think about, would you be prepared to give me 10 more minutes of your time, say we finish at 22, the next hour? I can't because I have to go on to a meeting at half past eight. Okay, I'm I so have to sorry, ask you, uh, that's, that's okay, before I lose you, uh, but I really don't want to lose you on coalitions, but it's, uh, so maybe let's do it quickly. Ahead, now. I have a question on the Western Cape. Go ahead. Okay, so this this whole thing about devolution. I mean, I, I understand that, for instance, in terms of policing, you know, clearly the national police could de determine whether the Western Cape government, in particular, can control crime or can it bring down uh, levels of crime and all that. Now, there's this whole devolution committee. What is it, what is it about? It's about pushing the issue of devolution. Mm -hmm. We are a federalist party. We believe that far more power should be hand, in the hands of the provinces and in the hands of municipalities if they are competent and capable to perform those functions. Mm -hmm. The constitution allows for that as well. And we want maximum powers to be decentralized because it's common cause mm -hmm. that everything the centralized ANC has touched has been broken. Right. We've got a competent DA government in the Western Cape and in Cape Town and in many other local authorities, mm -hmm. and many more powers can be devolved to them. And that is what we're working for. And that has the nothing police, to do with Cape exit. It's got nothing to do with secession, mm -hmm. making the Western Cape an independent country. Mm -hmm. There are some people pushing for devolution who would support secession, but the DA isn't one of them. 
And what we've done is we've got the single issue campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll know from the old days when we were in the end conscription campaign, for example, mm-hmm. there was a whole range of parties, of NGOs, of parties, everybody, and they disagreed on many, many things. But the one thing they did agree on mm-hmm. was to end conscription. Right. And so a single issue campaign is a good way of getting people who usually disagree on many other things to fight together for the one thing they agree on. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. And devolution of power is crucial, not only for the Western Cape, but for everywhere else. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that the Western Cape is currently the only province governed by a party that supports devolution. Mm -hmm. That's why we're starting to drive it there. But if we were to win Gauteng or the Free State or the Northern Cape or KwaZulu-Natal or anywhere else, we would drive for devolution just as much. Obviously, you can't drive for devolution to an incompetent ANC government. Then nothing would change. You've got to drive for devolution to a competent government where they have professionals who know what they're doing and can implement those fun- those functions. Okay. Two, two quick questions. I don't want to lose you, Helen. One, would the DA be open to a pre-electoral, that is pre-2024, UDF kind of arrangement so that you say to the people of South Africa, to other parties and formations, you come together and say, okay, let's create a better deal, a different deal that we're going to set ahead of the elections and stop this nonsense, my word, my vocabulary, of waiting to go through the elections and then start saying, okay, what deal, what seat do you get, what seat do you get? We need to really make South Africa dream again of a potential for South Africa. Would you get together and agree on deal and put even together a cabinet post 2024 cabinet before 2024 happens and sell it to South Africans? Look, the bottom line is this, that when you go to elections, you sell policies, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no credibility in saying all these parties will work together because coalition agreements have no force in law. So we're selling a myth. We're selling a complete myth. None of this has any credibility whatsoever because we know that people just switch and change whenever they see something better coming along or whenever the ANC makes them a better offer. Mm -hmm. That happens all the time. So the rules have to change. They play us off against each other. They say, Mm -hmm. what what will the ANC give us? Then they come to the DA and they say, the ANC's offered us this, what would you give us? So all of these verbal agreements actually are not worth the time and effort and paper they are written on because they are not respected when the, the rubber hits the road. But in any case with coalitions, what you have to do is see how the voters voted, then look at all the different permutations, because there are many different permutations of how you could put together a coalition government, and then choose not necessarily what is best, because there's never a best. There's never a best when you have to make these choices. The best would be a clean 50% DA government. But we mustn't count that's unlikely to happen at a national level now. So then you look at all the permutations of possible coalitions and you say, which is the least worst? That's what you do. And you can't say that ahead of the election. You've got to see how the voters will vote. And any agreements ahead of the elections are just like coalition agreements now, not worth the paper they are written on if they get a better offer from another team. Okay. Helen, one last question. Uh, Some people think you must get off Twitter. What do you say to them? I say that I'm on Twitter because it's a public platform. Mm -hmm. And if people like me abandon Twitter, you leave it to the wokes, the critical race theorists, the critical gender theorists, Mm -hmm. the race mongers, the hateful people, and the people who want to manufacture outrage all of the time, the Mm -hmm. people who practice cancel culture. You leave that entire marketplace of ideas to them alone. And I say no. Okay. If it's going to be a public platform that is a marketplace for ideas, everybody has a space and a place on it. I totally agree. Anyway, Helen, you know, we, it's clear that we need two hours to have this conversation. There's so much to talk to discuss with you, but you, I know you have to rush off to another meeting. And I'm really happy that you agreed to come and have this one-on-one with me. I hope there'll be another one because there's so much to talk about, not just for the sake of talking, but getting messages out there for South Africans, hopefully giving them different perspectives and hoping that they will integrate other things in their thinking or maybe understand you better, understand the DA better. And challenge to our listeners out there who have been staying, who've stayed with us up to this far. It means that they enjoy 
this platform, Worldview, and I hope that you others will share it out there, subscribe to Worldview, and those who want to advertise on it, of course, can also do that. This is Sonny Wen, who's been with Helen Zeller, and I'm the leader of the Federal Council of the DA. Helen, thank you so very much. Thank you, Sonny, and we'll set up another time. I think an hour is about as much as anybody can digest for a podcast, but I'd be very happy to do it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a nice day ahead. You too. Thanks okay. so much. Bye-bye.